Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome to Hey YA! From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA! is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA! is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. And we are recording this one a little bit early because it is June 20th right now. Um, but hello, Erica. And how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm very appreciative of us recording early. The reason we're co- recording early is because I'm taking a week off for my birthday. Woo-woo! Yes, and I'm planning a trip to Florida for my oh. to visit my friend. I know. I, I... Mm-hmm. No, that was an excited ew, even if Florida is a little <laughs> messy right now. <laughs> no, I debated I debated going because it's Florida. There's there are a few reasons. No sh- no shade to uh, you know, the cool, you know, native Floridians, no shade or anything, but it's really hot and I don't like heat, but my birthday is literally like the beginning, the peak of summer. But I haven't seen my friend who's my really good friend for a while. And we have a birthday, like our birthdays are days apart. And I was like, I want to go visit him. And that's where he is. So that's where I'm going. And I've never been to Florida, so I feel like it should be fun. It's about to be hot AF though. Yeah. I'm not I, looking forward to the humidity. I have to tell you the truth. The last time I went to Florida was probably 21 years ago. Oh. 22 years ago. It's been a while. I was a child. <laughs> but right. um, yeah, it was, uh, I remember it was hot. <laughs> That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, but I hope that you have a fun time. That'll be thank awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It should be fun. We were talking about stuff to do. And, and I'm like, how, why have I not, how have I not visited him more, whatever? But he was like, at one point he was like, oh, and I want to go to a place to have tea. Like, you know, like (laughs) British. I was like, a man after my own heart. (laughs) I love it. Yes. It sounds like a fantastic birthday celebration. I think so. Yeah. So you have to tell us how it went next time we record. Absolutely. Uh, Yay. So... Yes, we are recording this early, but you'll hear us in July. So we thought it would be kind of fun to talk about like our favorite reads of the year so yes. far, because it's always kind of fun to take stock. And we were just talking before this episode, um, so we started recording and I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never remember anything that I read without mm-hmm. my spreadsheet. Like I am no. hopeless. It is ridiculous. Same. But um, I've actually read, and sometimes I like get down in the dumps like, oh man, I haven't read that much this year. But I was like, wow, I've actually read quite a few books that I've enjoyed. So this is going to be fun. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be good. But before we get into it, we want to share a little bit of um, news. um, Because we did not talk about this right when it happened. I think we were kind of in between, like on our off episode weeks. But the um, Lambda Literary Awards um, were announced, which... 
um, are always fun because they celebrate LGBTQ literature. They've evolved a lot over the last, like, I think they've been around for 30 years. But what I love about the Lammies is that they have so many different categories and it just seems really awesome. So there's, you know, different categories for like lesbian and gay fiction, bisexual fiction, transgender fiction, nonfiction, poetry, biography, memoir, and then romance too. Like how many literary awards actually celebrate romance? The answer is not a lot. Good so, point. Good point. Yes. And then for the children's, they kind of do this thing that I don't always love where they just kind of like, you know, combine a lot of the children's awards, but at least they have different categories for like children's books, middle grade and YA. So, um, yeah. and then they just, so it's like a generalized like LGBTQ children's middle grade YA, as well as comics, drama and mystery. But the young adult winner is um, one of my favorite books of last year, The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School by Sonora Reyes. So I'm not really sure where they're going to stick that medal on the book cover because the book cover is getting a little crowded. Listen, they're, listen, the flowers, they're given. They're, you know, that's a nice problem to have. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) It was like, there's been a couple of book covers where I'm like, are they going to have to redesign the cover just to fit all the award stickers? Because that is a good problem to have. But yes. So um, Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School. I love that this one is like still getting all of the attention and accolades because Mm -hmm. it's such a great book. I need to get on that. And I say that every time. But, you know, (laughs) the way the nature of the TBR and slash mood reader things, you know? Yeah. No, I I get it. I totally do. So, yeah. So if you do not um, follow the Lammy Awards or you just haven't paid attention before, like definitely give the award winners a look over. I have to say, I also read the LGBTQ plus mystery award winner, Dirt Creek by Haley Scrivener. I loved it. So there's some really good stuff in there. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's an adult book, but it was still really awesome. So I do love a mystery. Yeah, it was awesome. So that is our news item. And first, before we, you know, go on, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right. So now we're going to talk about our favorite reads. And I don't know why I made that into like a little bad song, but. I like the jingle. (laughs) Always jingle with me, Tirza. I appreciated that. Yeah, it brought some joy into my life. (laughs) I'm a terrible singer, but I'm always singing ridiculous things. And it's in part because I'm married to somebody who can come up with like ridiculous jingles on the fly. (gasps) And I'm always like. How can you do that? Like, I'm the writer in this relationship. And, like, I cannot cannot do what they can do, where they just, like, come up with songs for everything. Um, So, anyway, that was my sad attempt at Jingle for our favorite books of the year so far. I Um, (laughs) know that your partner has, like, a notebook full of cat jingles. I just know it. Oh, yeah. I just know it. I'm waiting for the musical. There's a deep catalog there. (laughs) Cat. 
a log. <laughs> cat <laughs> Oh, but I'm bummed. Okay. Wow, we're ridiculous. But we are. <laughs> okay, Erica. Tell yes. me about one of your favorite books that you've read so far this year. Okay, so we were also talking about this before we recorded, and Tears, I know when you saw my list, you were like, all right, so not everything is released, has been, not everything on my list basically has been released in 2023. That's fine. So yeah, it's going to be a mix of things that were released in 2023, and also just things that I've read in 2023 that I really liked. So I will start with The City Beautiful by Aiden Polydoros. I spoke about this one not too long ago. I believe I gushed about it was probably like a better verb. (laughs) I really liked it. Where do I start? Oh, my gosh. So it's about it takes place in Chicago in 1893. It follows a Jewish immigrant. His name is Alter. So his father died on the way over to the U.S., on the way over to Chicago, and he's been trying to, like, survive and send money back to his mom and sisters. And it's rough. It's Chicago in the, in you know, the late 19th century. It's a hot mess uh, for everybody, except for, like, rich people, basically. So he um, participates in a lot of his communities, like religious um, events and stuff like that. But also he is queer. And so that part of himself, he tries to keep hidden. Um, But then one of his friends, because he lives with like three or four other boys in this like in tenement housing, basically. And they all, you know, go to work and stuff and try to save and all that. Everyone's trying to survive, basically. So one of his friends goes missing, and then they find out that he has been killed. Well, Mm. let me rephrase that. They find him dead. So, and this is at the Chicago World's Fair. And I remember when I first spoke about this, I was like, the only two things I've read about the Chicago World's Fair have been terrible. (laughs) So it just like has a negative connotation in my mind. So... I say they find they found him dead, they being the Chicago Police Department, because they're not really trying to investigate it as a um, murder, just like an unfortunate death. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, anti-Semitism. So um, and also the busyness of the world's fair. There's a lot going on. I think it's more so still anti-Semitism. They're like, oh, well, you know, I mean, they're not. They're not super hateful in that moment. They're not like, oh, well, you know, you deserved it. But the how they brush it aside, it's like obvious. So he's dealing with that. And then he performs the um, funeral rites for his friend, which is, you know, probably not the best idea. But in that process, he becomes possessed by this, his friend's dibbic, which is like this like the part of the spirit of a person if i remember and understand this part of jewish culture correctly it's like the part of you that has unfinished business and it kind of twists into something that's not really you kind of like becomes more demonic or something like that so he becomes he becomes possessed by his friends dibbick his departed friends dibbick and it is not going to rest until it gets justice. And we all love a good revenge story. I mean, you know, it's inconvenient for him to be possessed. Yes. So while he's trying to, again, survive, go about, you know, go 
about his day, send money back home, you know, all of that good stuff. He's having to deal with this second, like, soul in his body, basically. So this is part um, Jewish folklore. It's part horror. There's a murder mystery in it because they try to find out who killed his friend and other Jewish boys are turning up dead. And then there's also some interesting, um, like kind of with historical fiction. I love historical fiction because I actually learn about like real historical events. So there are some interesting um, tidbits I learned about journalism and kind of like the, I don't know if anarchist is the correct word, but just how journalists and stuff were helping people, like helping workers and stuff like that. So um, we also learn about how immigrants lived back then, especially Jewish immigrants, how a lot of them had to survive. You learn about the Chicago World's Fair. There's a lot. This book is like 500 pages, which I didn't realize because I had it on ebook. So there's a lot here. And there are twists, there are turns. Like I said, it's got, it gives, it, it gives for the girls. So <laughs> it just gives. So The City Beautiful by Aiden Polydoros. Pick it up. Amazing. Yes. Yes. This is like the second or third time I've listened to you talk about <laughs> how good this book is. So I I'm like excited. It. Yay. My first pick is Enter the Body by Joy McCullough. And I think I talked about this book on the show already this year, but Mm -hmm. holy cow, this book is so, so good. So imagine, if you will, that there is a stage Mm. and beneath the stage, there's a trapdoor on the stage and underneath the trapdoor is this, you know, sort of stage basement where all of Shakespeare's dead female characters are just lurking, hanging Ooh. out. Oh, I got a tangle. Yeah. Ooh. And they're not really talking with each other or mm. interacting in any way, but like they're all just down there. Mm. And they're obviously not having a great time because they've been killed in really horrific ways. And and even if the, the method of killing isn't horrific, it's pretty unfair. And so this book is about what happens when Juliet, Ophelia, and Cordelia start talking. And Lavinia is sort of, you know, she can't talk because her tongue is cut out. Oh, my God. Spoiler alert for Titus Andronicus. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and they, the four of them are all just kind of in the same vicinity. And Juliet just starts talking. And she starts sharing her story. And... It sparks this sort of conversation and this interest that these four characters have where, you know, Juliet tells her story, then Ophelia tells her story, and then Cordelia tells her story. And then they start talking with one another about, Mm. like, how their stories played out, um, how unfair their stories are. They kind of, you know, reference the bard as, like, you know, why did he have to do us dirty like this, basically? And then as they start talking through this, they start imagining what their stories could have been. And 
It's such a weird yet wonderful and moving book. Mm. I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to have read all of the plays. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, Juliet's from Romeo and Juliet, Ophelia's from Hamlet, Cordelia's from King Lear. Um, Lavinia, we don't really hear from her because, again, the no tongue thing makes it hard for her to speak. But she's from Titus Dronicus. And you don't have to have read all these plays to really get their stories because um, they kind of recap their own stories really nicely. Um, So in some ways it's a retelling. It's a retelling of these three plays from their points of view. But if you have read some of these plays, I think that like the, the story is like that much more powerful because it's really interesting to see how they twist and turn their stories and reimagine their roles and just like talk about like their own autonomy and their own choices. It was a really brilliant book. Mm. I, I, I mean, I just, I was so amazed by it. And I, I took Shakespeare in college and I've read a lot of Shakespeare plays and seen a lot of Shakespeare performances. Um, and I was just like, this is one of the best sort of Shakespeare calling it an adaptation or a retelling isn't quite accurate, but it's one of the best sort of Shakespearean novels that I've ever read. I actually sent my copy to my Shakespeare professor and I was like, you must read this. Um, So I don't, yeah, I don't know if she has yet, but oh my gosh, such a good book. It's really weird. It's maybe a little bit niche when it comes to like topic and interest, but is obviously one of the best books I've read this year. And like, even just thinking about that book again, I'm like, I would read that book over and over again, just to kind of like dig into like the craft of it. So that is mm. Enter the Body by Joy McCullough. Isn't the novel in verse also or no? Do I miss? Yeah. I misremember? Yeah. Okay. I remember. A, yeah. But yeah. So like half of it is, well, not half of it. Like most of it is in verse. So mm-hmm. the characters are telling their own stories in, in verse, which is kind of fun because like each of the verse styles for each of the girls is very different. Oh. And that's impressive. And it, it kind of reflects their personalities and also like the themes of the in the tone of the plays that they're from. Yeah. But then half of it is told in like like a play format because they are having these conversations together. So you, you get stage cues and you get, you know, them talking. I mean, I could definitely see this being adapted to the stage really well. So yeah, it was just so good. I pfft. I'm blown away. That is, it's moving its way. I have not read all of Shakespeare, but I've read some, but this sounds really good. And it reminds me, um, I've heard this before in terms of um, like entertainment, as far as like movies, shows, books, looking at typically marginalized characters, whether they're women or people of color, queer people, et cetera. And not only seeing if they're present in the story that you're consuming, but also if they interact with each other. I know mm-hmm. the um, Bechdel. Yeah, the Bechdel test. Yeah, I know that's one feature of it. It's like, for women, are they present? You know, what kind of voice do they have? And are they interacting with each other? Mm-hmm. Because that is that apparently is a way to kind of like tokenize people, I feel like. They're there. Tokenize slash objectify. Tokenize. Tokenizing is, I think, objectifying. But so that's really interesting. Um, Yes. I need to read that also. It's so good. (laughs) Yes. All right. Adding that, bumping that up, the TBR priority. Okay. Next one I have is All My Rage by Sabata here. And this is the one we read for our book club 
And I think you chose it. Yeah, I think I did because I thought that it was going to be a Prince winner or it was a Prince winner or something like that. Yeah, it did. It was. I can speak. <laughs> Good choice. I really liked it. One of my favorite YA reads so far this year. So just a refresher, if you didn't catch that episode where we discussed it, it follows. So most of the story is told in the present time, the present day. Some of it is also told from the past. It follows Noor and Salahuddin. And so this is such an interesting look into like Muslim and Pakistani American lives. So uh, Salahuddin's parents, they run a hotel and his father suffers from alcoholism and his mother, Misba, is sick. And so they're just like struggling. He's getting into some questionable things to try to help with money and stuff like that. And Noor is dealing with her own things and she wants to get into a good school. But her uncle, who took, who has taken care of her um, since there was like this uh, really bad earthquake years ago in Pakistan. And like he was like her only family member left. So he brought her to America and she lives there with his, I believe they're married, his wife and him. So, but the thing is, he doesn't want her to go to college because he feels like he's, like, sacrificed his youth or opportunities or something like that for her. So he wants to go to school and he kind of wants her to, like, stay back. So she keeps her college applications a secret from him, which is counterintuitive for, obviously, for people who genuinely care about you. So that's one indication of things going on. Noor and Salahuddin have been really good friends for a while. It started to kind of turn into something more, but then something funky happened and Noor got turned off from Sal, which is Salahuddin, shortened version. And as Misba, Misba is Sal's mother. As she gets really sick, she keeps trying to bring Noor like back into their world, back into their house. And Misba was a way for Noor to kind of uh re-experience like Pakistani culture and stuff because her her uncle is a hater. Just put that just like capital H hater just all around. He's he the worst. Just, he's awful. He needs to go to jail. There's this gif where it's like this person in the car and, and they're like, y'all are going to jail, period. So <laughs> <laughs> that applies to him for several reasons. So yeah, Mispa, Sal's mom, gets sick. She eventually passes away. I don't think that's a spoiler, although I don't remember when that happens in the book. But I think it happens fairly early on. So obviously this deals with the loss of a parent, but it also deals with abuse and mental health and being an immigrant and being different. And I think how it deals with things is so with these heavy topics it's it's so well done and the lead up to revealing what's going on with the main characters is really well done and i think i feel like part of it if i didn't say this before i don't quite remember we spoke about it months ago but it's like we're not told immediately right away what's going on with both of these main characters 
we're shown snippets and clues, but mm-hmm. it's like, it could be anything. And I like how uh, Sabata here did that because that's just like, if, if it were going on with, you know, someone, you know, in real life, like you're, we were seeing certain hints and clues as to what was going on, just as we would with say a friend or a family member, but we're not psychic. So it's not like, the characters revealed immediately, even though we had access to like their, you know, inner thoughts and stuff like that. When it was revealed, I was crying. Okay. So this is a book if you want to cry, you know, Um, but it was just really well done. It dealt with abuse and grief and different things very well. It's just really well well done. So awards well received. Thank you for recommending. We read it. Here's a, Mm-hmm. Def one of the best best books I've read so far. Probably one of the best I will have read this year. Um, so again, that is All My Rage by Sabah Tahir. Awesome. Um, my second pick is probably not going to be surprising considering I started this episode telling you how much I liked The Lesbianist Guide to Catholic School. <laughs> my second pick is Sonora Reyes' sophomore novel, which is the Luis Ortega Survival Club. And this book, uh, it was it, it was hard to read mm. and sweet at the same time. So content warning for discussions of like the aftermath of sexual assault. Um, the sexual assault does not happen on the page, but the book starts off like in the immediate aftermath of it. So this book is about Ariana. She is neurodiverse and she is selectively mute and she really does not talk at school hardly at all because she only ever feels comfortable enough to speak when she's feeling at ease and comfortable with other people and so for her that basically means like her parents and nobody else but she really does like want to connect with people and and sort of want to stand out and so she has like all these really bold fashion choices and nobody seems to really pay any attention to her because they just know her as the girl who never talks until um, this is before the book even starts. Luis Ortega notices her and he seems to really like her and he doesn't mind that she doesn't really talk so much. And he kind of comes on strong and he invites her to a party. And it's at this party that they have sex and she does not really give consent, but she's also kind of beating herself up because she's like, I, I didn't tell him no. And she just kind of, you know, she feels like she just let it happen. And it's, you know, very upsetting to her. And of course, immediately in the aftermath, everybody's talking about the fact that they had sex and she's deeply embarrassed and ashamed and she doesn't really understand how that all happened. So she, the the first part, half of the book is just like her dealing with the fact that everybody is paying attention to her and making assumptions about her. And she's also really scared of Luis's um, ex-girlfriend, Shawnee, because it seems like Shawnee, everywhere she turns around, there's Shawnee. And she thinks that Shawnee's mad at her because she slept with Luis. And so she's very isolated, trying to figure out what's going on. But then she learns the truth, which is that Luis Ortega is not a nice guy. Um, He, you know, slept with her because it wasn't like she could say no. And he has done this to other people, to other girls in particular. And there is a small group of them at their school who 
have been wronged by him, either through sexual assault or other horrible acts that he has committed. And so they kind of form this little club. It's an unofficial club where they just kind of hang out and um, they commiserate. But then they also decide that maybe they want some revenge. They want to expose him for his wrongdoings. And so... Ari was like a little reluctant at first, but then she kind of gets more and more into the idea. But if she is truly going to, you know, expose him and have him face the consequences, um, she also is realizing that she has to be completely honest about what happened that night. And for the moment, she's lying about what happened because she doesn't want anybody to know the truth. So that's kind of like the the heavy part of the book. But then it's also balanced out really nicely with some really sweet moments where um, Ari is falling in love with the person that she least expects. And it is another girl in this group. And the way it unfolds is really sweet. There's a lot of really good talk about like consent. And like, I think sometimes when we like our society is a lot better about talking about consent, I think now than they were like 20 years ago. Yeah. But um, because like, I don't I can't even I don't know that consent was not really a huge topic of discussion in like my high school sex ed. Yeah. And I say, I think that they're doing a little bit better now. But what I liked about this book is Reyes takes it a step further in that they talk about consent about in terms of not just like, you know, can we or can we not have sex? But like, hey, can I touch you? Can I hug you? Is it okay if I hold your hand? Like, it just really what I think they do is they demonstrate that the issue of consent isn't just like, you know, should we be physically intimate, but like in it's it should be present at every step of a relationship, you know. Yeah, that should be an ongoing conversation, which we now know is consent needs to be ongoing and enthusiastic and all that stuff. But like, I think that the author just did a really great job of showing what consent looks like in like big and small ways throughout the course of a relationship. So, mm-hmm. the Luis Otega Survival Club by Sonora Reyes, I really enjoyed it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, consent is so. Um, I think, like you said. We're better than we were 20 years ago. Um, but even like going as far as like expecting kids to, um, you know, automatically hug people and stuff like that. I feel like the conversation is changing around that. Like you said, like even smaller areas of consent, not just the, you know, big act, I guess you could call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, which is awesome to see. So, yes, all of these great books. We have some more coming. We're going to hear really quickly from our sponsor and then get right back to it. Okay, so next book I have is actually one that was released in 2023, finally. (laughs) 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 Um, It is Invisible Sun by Kim Johnson. And, oh, my goodness, so good. So it opens with if you're familiar with ralph ellison you'll probably be like oh that kind of sounds familiar ralph ellison's invisible man i have not read that book in its entirety but i have read like the first few pages and i remember it speaking on basically it's speaking on um the black american experience during the time that the author wrote it i believe it was in the 50s but i may be off by some years so in in that book, he talks about how um, being black is to be invisible, basically. And when people do see you, they project this narrative onto you. So they don't really see the true you. So I'm saying that because with Kim Johnson's Invisible Son, 
in the beginning, it opens with like a nod to Invisible Man. But here, the main character, Andre, he was arrested and sent to um, Juvenile Hall for a crime he didn't commit um, because he was hanging out with what basically his friends were stealing things from other teenagers at parties and they got caught. Um, one of the friends was white. One of the friends was black. And then he gets arrested and he being loyal to his friends, he doesn't rat them out, but he actually wasn't the one stealing. And then someone plants some stuff in his locker, which is way dirty. Yeah. So I say all that. So the nod to Invisible Man starts in the beginning because Andre is like, you know, it used to be that I was invisible in a way. Because his neighborhood in Portland, Oregon is becoming gentrified and stuff like that. And he already sees the differences in how he gets treated versus the white boys his age. Um, without even being told, he knows that like he already sees the small differences, differences that add up to big differences. So he's like, I would rather be invisible because when I'm seen, I get sent to juvenile hall, basically. Mm-hmm. So the book opens up, um, he's getting released. Like we're literally in the car with him. He's driving home to his grandparents' house and he knows like everyone's super disappointed in him. And he really doesn't, he's not one to really like be in the streets and stuff like that. Um, and even if he did, even if he was someone who was, you know, kids make mistakes, literally your brain is not finished developing. So it's like, you know. But he really just was like a kid who liked to hang out with his friends and, you know, go swimming and make silly YouTube videos and stuff like that before everything happened. But now he comes back and it's just like Kim Johnson does such a great job of like, I feel like, I don't know, it just feels like I understand what he's going through without it being overly explained. And it just like, it's really like, it's just really sad. And I just feel all the emotions that he feels and the pop culture references that he mentions and the way he speaks and the way the character speaks. It all just feels very natural. Like I'm like having a peek into someone's brain, really. So it's also happening February or so, February 2020, which is like five minutes before the catastrophe. So it's leading up to that as well. So anyway, okay, so. Gavin was this white kid and Eric was the black kid. Those were two, his two friends who were actually guilty of doing stuff. More so Gavin. So here's what happens. Andre gets framed. He still doesn't rat his friends out. But Eric, the his black friend who was adopted by a white family, the white family, the Whitakers, the father, the patriarch of the Whitakers, he hires an attorney for Andre to help him. But it comes later. It comes after he was already framed. So he does get help in that way because his family is kind of, Andre's family is kind of struggling to make ends meet. So once he gets out, he goes back to the Whitaker's house and he is excited to see his little boo-boo thing, Sierra, who was Eric's biological um, sister, who he has a major crush on. And he's eager to hang out with the Whitakers and try to get some normalcy back. But here's the thing. When he gets there, he asks for Eric. Remember, Eric is Sierra's brother. Eric is one of the kids who's actually involved with the wrongdoing. When he asks where Eric where Eric is, Sierra like storms out and 
he finds out that Eric has been missing since he went to juvenile hall and no one knows where Eric is. So, yeah. So it's like one of the other um, kids, the Whitakers adopted Louise. He's like, oh, would you want to, would you want to like sucker punch him? Because he, you know, left you hanging, like left you out for dead basically to take the rap. And Andre's like, yeah, I would like to talk to him about that. But I also just want to know that he's okay. Because part of the reason Andre took the rap um, and didn't mention Eric was because he knew Eric had had a hard life up until that point going from foster home. Eric and Sierra as siblings um, had gone from foster home to foster home. And he was just trying to save him that heartache, even though Eric was like, low-key guilty so he's just like yeah i would like to sucker punch him <laughs> uh but also uh where like is he good like where is he how is he just missing for all this time and y'all are just like oh he's gone so there's something weird going on with eric's disappearance and not everything about the Whitakers is as it seems. So as Andre investigates things and he deals with being out of juvenile hall and everything that comes with that, and it's a lot that comes with that, um, he's also trying to find out where Eric is and get to the bottom of what Eric's disappearance has to do with him going to juvenile hall. So mm. you see what I'm saying? That's what yeah. I said. That's what I said. All right, no spoilers. Invisible Sun by Kim Johnson. I'm just saying. It sounds really good. Yes. And I I did not know about the Invisible Man sort of connections there, but now I'm even more mm. intrigued. So, ooh. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, my next pick is A Long Stretch of Bad Days by Mindy McGinnis, which um, also, if you've been listening to this podcast at all, I think you know how much I really enjoyed um, Mindy McGinnis' previous two books, which were Edgar Allan Poe retelling set against rural Ohio. Ooh. Um, and they go dark in mm. like a really fun way. So this one is kind of similar to those books in that it's also set in rural Ohio and it also deals with like small towns, small town secrets. You know, you've got like this sharp divide between like people who have money versus people who don't have money. Or in this case, the people who have the appearance of money and like the pedigree and then like people who who don't so this one is about two teenage girls one is from a more privileged family where like her family has just kind of been around for a while like they live in a nice house because it's like the family house it's like a nice like three-story victorian and then the other girl she her family lives in you know a trailer park and they are sort of pitted and thrown together not pitted against each other but thrown together because they have discovered that due to their high school counselor's alcoholism, they are both missing one credit that they need in order to graduate. What? Um, yeah. What? And I know. Uh-huh. So, of course, for, like, one of the girls, it's like, oh, no, this is, like, a nightmare because I'm going off to college. I need to be able to graduate. For the other girl, it's kind of like, you know, nobody in my family has ever graduated from high school before, so it would be a big deal if I can graduate. So they decide to start working together on a independent study project where they're supposed to explore the history of their town and do a podcast about it. 
So yeah, seems pretty straightforward, right? But um, what they decide to do is focus on um, their town's long stretch of bad days, which was this period in the 90s where within one week, they had a murder, like their Mm. only murder, Mm. and then a devastating tornado that raised half the town. And then they also had a flood that very tragically killed like every dog at the animal shelter. Oh, my God. I know. So it's really sad. And so they decide that they're going to do these podcast episodes on the long stretch of bad days. But in the course of their research for this, they encounter a missing persons case, which is that like... There is this teenage girl that went missing during this long stretch of bad days and nobody ever investigated her disappearance because she slipped through the cracks. And so now that they know that this girl is missing and nobody ever went looking for her and then like she was reported missing or recorded as missing and then she was just kind of reported as a runaway. Um, And they think like, what if something happened to her? And then they're starting to find like increasing evidence that something bad happened to her. And yeah, it was really fascinating. I, I liked how the mystery came together. Mm. Um, It had a lot of really good elements. I also liked the tension between the two girls because they obviously have different motivations and different goals, but, and they're coming from very different places in life, but they have this really great, easy sort of dynamic where, you know, you can see them being friends despite the fact that like they really get on each other's nerves and they have very (laughs) differing ideas of how this podcast ought to go um it was funny it was kind of dark not as dark as the edgar Allan poe retellings get but uh it was really fascinating and i loved how everything came together so that is a long stretch of bad days by mindy mcginnis definitely pick it up if you like like cold case sort of mysteries but also small town, like dark small town dynamics. It was really good. This one escaped my, flew over my, and this just came out in March too. I literally just (laughs) added it to my TBR on Goodreads. I was like, let me not forget to add this. Yes. Cover's also kind of cool too. The cover is kind of creepy. Yeah, it's fitting. It seems like, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. Yes, so... My final one, I think probably that we will have time for. I was like, all right, you know, I like, (laughs) you know, I like dark stuff. And I feel like the books I've mentioned so far have dealt with some very heavy things. This next book is a manga and it is like the polar opposite of the other things that I've mentioned so far in this episode, as well as the last full episode we did where I was just like, you know, on my, on my, in my dark era. I really like this manga. It's called Cat Plus Gamer by Wataru Naratani. And I like it because it's so like, if you want like a cozy little, like a cozy cleanse, it is perfect for that. It's super cute. It has some creative little elements to it. I've read two of the volumes. So it's just Cat Plus Gamer Volume 1 and the same title, but Volume 2. Volume 3 comes out later this year. I have not gotten my pause on that yet, but I will soon, hopefully. Um, so it's about Rico, who is a 29-year-old office worker in Japan. And um, she is, like, super obsessed with video games. And she's the type who, like, she goes into work and she goes home. And a lot of people, like... They try to, like, the office workers, they, like, socialize after work. They go for drinks, la, la, la. 
Um, but she's like, to them, from their perspective, they're like, oh my God, she's such a hard worker. She's efficient. She gets her work done. She goes home. She's like not playing games. Ha ha ha, pun intended. But she is playing games. The reason she doesn't hang out with them after and the reason she seems so serious to them is because she goes straight home and she plays games like hardcore, like she is super into games. So one day, the security guard for the office, um, he's like, oh, I found this kitten. It seemed to be by itself. Like, does anybody want to take care of it? I don't know what to do with this little kitten. And before she even thinks of what she's doing, she agrees to take it. And people are like, oh, what? You miss, you know, no nonsense. I go straight home from work every day. I don't go drinking with everybody. And so she's like, yeah, why not? It's cute. So she takes the cat home, the kitten. And then once she gets home, she's like, whoa, I have never had a cat before. What do I do? And so it's just kitten hijinks ensue, basically. Uh, she goes to the pet store and she gets like all this stuff, kitten supplies, and the person is helping her. There's a lot of like humor throughout. It's genuinely like giggle worthy and stuff like that. And then there's this cute thing where she equates the kitten's progress, like the kit, the stuff the kitten does, she equates it to like leveling up, like in like in an RPG or something, like in a video game. I don't know if you're familiar with RPG, but mm-hmm. I was a nerd, so role playing game. So it'll do you know funny like kitten things, like I don't know, learn to jump higher, and then it's like oh, jumping increased by one point or something. It's it's really cute. I really really liked it, and again, it's like kind of like a slice of life. Um, lighthearted, cozy thing. And it reminded me of when I would first, like whenever I first get kittens, it's like very perfectly encapsulates that. So it's super cute. Um, again, Cat Plus Gamer, Volumes 1 and 2 by Wataru Natatani. Awesome. That sounds cute. It's so cute. Ah, My next pick is North Ranger by Ray Tercero and Brie Indigo. And I did talk about this one on, I think, my last extra credit episode. So I'll just kind of mention it really quickly because I finally read it and I loved it so much. So it is a retelling of Northanger Abbey, but it's set in a rural Texas um, ranch area. And it is about Cade, who is super into horror movies and loves like getting spooked out by all sorts of horror. And he and his stepdad have to um, basically go and work on this ranch um, for the summer because the family is struggling with money. And this ranch work will be pretty lucrative and um, help out the family quite a bit. So he reluctantly goes off with his stepdad and they're working at this ranch ranch. And the only thing that makes it even slightly bearable is that the ranch owner's son, Henry, is really hot, really sweet, likes horror movies as well. And they have this friendship. And Kate has this giant crush on Henry. But he also feels like Henry is kind of holding back with like, you know, really letting him get to know him because there are certain secrets that Henry is keeping and he won't talk about the death of his mom. And there are rumors that kind of float around and certain things are being said about Henry and his dad and his family. And, you know, Kate just doesn't know how Henry's mom even died or what happened to her. Mm. Um, So his imagination starts running wild with him. And uh, he just he starts thinking of all these terrible, awful things. And um, he has to figure out, you know, 
is is something you know nefarious really going on here can he trust henry and um there are some catastrophic misunderstandings throughout this graphic novel but i really liked i liked the um the romance aspect it was really sweet there's also you know some really good sort of discussions about what it means to be queer in a rural area and also like why Cade as a gay teenage boy really identifies with horror novels or not mm. horror novels horror movies um, which I thought was, you know, really interesting and insightful. So also, I think this one just gets credit for like one of the more interesting and unique retellings of Jane Austen. Because I think so. Yeah, it's queer. It's set in this rural Texas area. It's all about ranch hands. I really liked it. So that is North Ranger by Ray Terciero and Brie Indigo. And I just wanted really quickly to shout out one of my favorite reads that I've read this year that actually came out last fall, and that is The Do-Over by Lynn Painter. So this one came out back in November, and I read it earlier this year, I think in, in March. And oh my gosh, this book is so funny. So if it's <laughs> like, if you like Groundhog Day, like that idea of like a time loop, but this one's set on Valentine's Day, and it's about a girl who is all set to have like her best Valentine's Day ever. She wants to tell her boyfriend that she loves him for the first time. And from the moment she wakes up, everything is like disaster, disaster, disaster. And it all culminates when she catches her boyfriend making out with his ex and she oh. breaks up with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's just making out with his ex on Valentine's Day right before oh she's God. about to tell him that she loves him. Mm-mm. And um, she's like devastated by this. And so, you know, she goes to her grandmother's house and she's like you know, eating ice cream and being sad. And then when she wakes up the next morning, it's like Valentine's Day all over again. But this time she knows that her boyfriend's going to cheat on her and that all these bad things are going to happen. And so she decides that she's going to kind of have a little bit of fun with this timeline um, and try to get things to go her way. But when things don't go her way after multiple tries, she decides to go really off the rails. And it is so fun funny and I was super engaged the entire time it has some really great hijinks it's just like I said one of my favorite reads that I've read this year one of my favorite YA contemporary romances that I've read in a while so The Do-Over by Lynn Painter and that one has a lot of uh I was just you know adding it to my Goodreads real quick um that one has a lot of ratings on Goodreads too yeah it's like 30 over thirty thousand, and it just came out like you know there's some books on there that are on there for years and you know have like a thousand or less and they're very good but this just came out in november last year and it has thirty thousand. yeah i blend painters i think her books are really popular i think she mm-hmm. gets a lot of traction like on tiktok which is yeah not a place that i hang out very often but i know that she gets a lot of traction over there and mm-hmm. but i'm like her books are so good so like i get why they're yeah. so popular so Makes sense. Yes. I loved yes. it. So. All right. Well, we could keep talking about all the books that we've loved this year because there are more. But mm-hmm. I guess I guess we have to wrap things up or something. I guess. Uh, Whatever. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And you can always leave us feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And it lets us know how we're doing. But it also helps others to find us, which we appreciate. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. And finally, don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and of course, all things bookish. Thank you to today's sponsor. 
sponsors for making this show possible. And thanks to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Tears of Price. And Erica, what about you? On Twitter at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, you will hear from us again in two weeks. But until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.